This is the Retail Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. We're on that third mega trend where consumers really have taken over the shopping channel. They're walking into stores a lot more informed. We don't hide from the fact that retail is difficult. You know, every day is a challenge, but that excites the customer. They love that. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Though marketing rollouts for retailers have fully embraced social media, e-commerce, and digital displays, the in-store signage, the banner, the physical display, has yet to go out of style, especially during limited edition products or seasonal branding. And what often doesn't get discussed is that with these physical in-store signs comes a lot of waste, both during their production and eventual disposal. Can physical signage remain while curbing its carbon footprint? Here to give their perspective and some answers are Bob O'Neill, owner of Competitive Edge, and Tim Bennett, chairman and co-founder of Image Options Companies. Bob, Tim, welcome both of you to the podcast. How are you doing? Just fine, thank you. Very good. Thank you, Daniel. Yeah, it's great to have you both on. Looking forward to this conversation. So to start off, can y'all attach any numbers to the kind of waste we see from retail signage, from the physical signage? And if so, uh, how substantial are those numbers? Well, it's it's a very interesting question depending on the type of installation and the type of environment that we're installing in and where specifically that is. And by that, I mean... um, some of these locations are in malls, and a lot of malls are well known for not having good recycling capabilities. So that is, uh, I guess, the, the waste number remains the same, but the disposal is a completely different uh, answer. Uh, we specifically like to work with our clients on maximizing yield. We like to be involved in the early conversations so that we can recommend to the client, can we tweak the size a little bit? Uh, so that we can often double the yield in in materials just by taking it down half an inch on each side. So some of these measurements are are, uh, are substantial if you can work with the client up front. Yeah, and I would say, you know, um, Image Options really one of the early adopters of promoting the use of uh, different types of materials that are more earth-friendly uh, compared to what is currently used in the market, kind of the legacy products that all of us are familiar with, whether you're on the the retail side or the printing side, graphic side, design side, um, where the traditional or legacy products uh, are more of the PVC-based substrates or styrene-based substrates, some of the more non-earth-friendly uh, products that are are pretty prevalent in our in our market, and I think. As Tim mentioned on the recyclability and some of those different things, there's challenges that we uh, are confronted with uh, from the collection of the materials at end of life. So you mentioned a few of the materials there, but let's dig into exactly what makes up these um, physical signage products and banners and displays. What would you all say are the main materials that these products are made out of? And how do those materials impact the earth, both during production and then also during the disposal of those products? Yeah, so I would say, you know, there's a number of product offerings out there um, that are, you know, paper-based materials that uh, can, in fact, displace many of the different plastic materials uh, in the channel um, that 
come from certified forestry initiatives or our FSC SFI certified, where um, it's it's a process where when they do take down the trees or the forest uh, areas that they're doing uh, uh, replanting and making sure that they're just not uh, leveling the landscape. So I would say paper-based substrates probably are the best uh, product of choice from a retailer standpoint for recyclability because most of those products will be recycled. On the plastic side, I'll, I'll kind of lend that to Tim uh, based on his background and, and usage of many different types of materials uh, on maybe which ones uh, are considered to be more earth friendly compared to some of the others. Yeah, um, you touched on it early on. I, I think that as our philosophy has been um, right from the beginning. We, we were established in 1999. Uh, we've always tried to take a sort of holistic approach to the, the issue. So starting with the fact that we, even if we can't get into a completely green, sustainable product, we will take the, the, least, uh, the least bad choice, I guess you could say, whether it be petrochemical-based or uh, any other derivative. I mean, there's a lot of things that you see out there that people are pitching as sustainable or green, but the process to actually achieve it is awful. Uh, uh, Bamboo, for instance, is a prime example of that. It uses a tremendous amount of water and uh, bleach agents to actually make it white. So it's it's not a good choice. So we we always take the the, the least toxic uh, uh, manufacturing process, um, etc. And now I think in 2019 that the industry's come a long, long way with a lot of that and. Bob's company handles numerous materials that are definitely better choices. So working on the principle that recycling in the United States is a is a, a mess. It's due to the size of it, and there's no standard regulations. So it's a very big country. So when somebody makes a, a, a remark like, well, they recycle everything in Holland, well, you can put Holland into our local county here. So... It, this is a much, much bigger issue in the States here. We, you know, I forget the actual statistics, but we're 5% of the population and create something like 70% of the world's waste. So it's it's a, a dynamic that's hard to get your head around. But so going back to the question of where we are with these materials, we try and pick the best materials. We try and get into sustainable uh, organic-based materials if we can and then we try and find a waste stream to go with that so the theory being if you're in one of these areas with very poor recycling capabilities at least what goes in the ground is the best choice we can possibly help the client get into um, we've actually established a, a database uh, a materials research database if you like and we started this a good few years ago when we started to realize that there was uh, you know, you couldn't remember all the materials. There were so many of them. You'd go to the various trade shows, you'd come away with all these new options, and then you'd suddenly realize that some of these options were actually the same thing. So you've got, you know, a certain number of manufacturers and then a certain number of converters that take that material and convert it, and it comes out private label. It's the same stuff. 
So that was our first problem. And then we were trying to track all the sustainable materials. And that became a beginning uh, exercise, trying to remember what was what. So we built this database. It's become very sophisticated. It's all searchable with metadata. We've now got over 800 different uh, substrates in that database. Uh, many of them are actually duplicates, the way I said, but these range from, because in today's modern technologies, we can basically print on pretty much anything with UV-cured ink. So there's no solvents and toxics in that side of things, but these range from the Falcon Board kind of products, uh, you know, the card stocks and all of that, and then the vinyls and the plastics and the PVCs and the wood and aluminum and dye bond and it just keeps going and then when you move into the fabric side that's just as big so now with this database with all these different thicknesses sizes of different kinds of substrates we can actually search by the criteria that we're looking for so if the client asks for a specific kind of solution uh, we can actually search for it um, because there are so many you know they're coming from you know many sources these days um, that's one solution. And then the other time is they will ask us, well, what should I use? And that's when we stick them in the greenest thing that we have at our disposal. Yeah, that's excellent, Tim. And, and I'll tell you, you know, some of the other things that I know your company does a, a good job of that in image options, and, and we'd like others to be able to think in this direction is that, you know, when you're looking at a rollout, some type of a marketing plan with in-store signage, uh, and, and other types of display work and so on. I mean, there's a lot of different things that go into the uh, the green side of, of choosing a product, right? Um, you know, for example, uh, as, as Tim mentioned, we, we represent a product called Falcon Board. And in that case, if somebody is utilizing four foot by eight foot signage or large things that, that have to get shipped on a truck, uh, to their 100 store locations or 500 store locations or whatever that is, you know, there are options with different types of materials that you can actually score and fold in half and potentially ship it out on UPS to these uh, different destinations versus, versus um, you know, utilizing trucking or, or, or ground shipping. And, you know, all those other things that come into play, the, the recycle content of the material, you know, most people, as, as Tim mentioned early on, there's a little bit of greenwashing out there where, you know, people will say that their material or their product that they're trying to sell into the channel is recyclable. And it probably is, but the reality of it being recycled is close to nil. Um, that's just the, that's just the, the world we live in, as, as Tim mentioned earlier. Uh, and also, you know, to recycle that particular product, the emissions that it would uh, emit out to the environment and, and some of the other, um, you know, things associated with trying to make it into a future product is, is just, uh, you know, not really feasible. Yeah, uh, there is, uh, I would suggest to any listener that one of the things that um, they can get for free uh, is a publication called Resource Recycling. Um, you can go on to resource recycling. It's an industry uh, newsletter for for waste management style companies, uh, and they have a, they have a, a frequent newsletter that comes out. And when you look at that, they cover a lot of the recycling industry overseas. 
And since China, uh, a year plus now, uh, clamped down on uh, not taking all our waste, we were abusing their system, if you like. Um, they, they cut down on that. And that's what's really put the recycling industry in absolute turmoil. Um, hence the reason in California here, just uh, two weeks ago, uh, one of the largest recycling collection places in, in the state, 270, I believe it was, locations, all shut down because the value of the recyclable product due to the high cost of reprocessing uh, had uh, got to such a state where basically there's no money in it. And um, they closed the entire thing, which is a crying shame uh, for many, many reasons. But we, this is a bigger problem that needs to be in Washington and it needs, in my opinion, it needs a federal solution um, so that everybody follows the same rules. But we see uh, a lot of our larger clients in the retail industry in particular, um, they want to do it because their whole mindset of cutting down waste and, and being a better uh, citizen, if you like, a corporate citizen, is a big, it's a big issue. And they're their, their clientele are uh, demanding it. There's a lot of uh, push that way in social media that people buy from companies that do good things. And so this is, a again, a holistic uh, kind of approach. But anybody in the profession, in the retail business or in our side of the you know, production manufacturing side, get this newsletter, uh, Resource Recycling, and, um, and you'll see... There's a lot of other things to overcome before this is a, an easy solution. But there's other things that uh, people can do. I, one of the things that first got me interested uh, in this was um, going to, uh, before SGP, the Sustainable Green Print Partnership, uh, became an official organization. I was in Chicago at a, at a meeting where they were discussing how do we form this organization? How do we make SGP a real thing? And one of the uh, board brought up a book and they said, this is a good book you should read called Green to Gold. And when I heard Green to Gold, the first thing in my head was how you, how you make money out of this. And that was completely the wrong thought. Uh, when I looked into it, um, one of the individuals is uh, a Wall Street person, I believe, and the other individual, the co-author, is a professor in a university, and they, they put this green to gold book. I believe it's been republished these days, a new edition out. But when I read it, it was all about the business side of what happens when you do good things, if you look at it that way. And the examples in there are so enlightening that most companies are just throwing money away all the time because they're not taking a sustainable approach. So um, it's a good book to read. There's some good examples in there where the ROI, you know, the return on any sustainable investment that you do usually comes back in multiple folds. Uh, first year, we cut out literally tens of thousands of dollars in waste, uh, like landfill, you know, filling these big containers at the back of the shop instead of having a take back program with our plastic suppliers and various things like that. Uh, lighting, heating, a lot of just sensible things, and that money all goes to the bottom line. So it's it's a great, it's just a more efficient way to run your company. 
and uh, Bob knows what we've done in, in our plant to, uh, to do that. It also affects the safety side of everything because you're using less toxic type things and more safety. You know, your workers' comp goes down. I mean, this, this whole sustainable thing is one big, one big issue to overcome in many different places. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 glad that you give it that holistic look because, uh, and especially bringing it back to how much power the customer has and the consumer has. Um, you know, they clearly an individual doing a few things here and there to be more sustainable is not really going to affect much, but. I think there is pride in being an individual that is conscientious of those things. And so consumers like to shop that way. They like to put their money into businesses that support those sustainable ideologies. Um, And I think you're seeing that a lot in retailers. You see it a lot in uh, fast fashion. You know, a lot of consumers get uh, upset with some of these, um, these fashion retailers because the the amount of clothes they're putting out and how quickly they're putting it out uh, leaves uh, an immense carbon footprint on um, on the earth. So it, clearly going sustainable is not only a, a good thing for your company, but it's also a common marketing point for companies um, because it can attract customers that are more aware of of those societal issues. So do you see that whole kind of social push being reflected by retailers in some of their internal decisions? So, you know, do you see that motivating some of their decisions for, you know, for example, their signage production and their uh, displays and their banners that they use, even if that's not the most marketable thing, is that translating to some of their internal decisions? In, I think it depends on the style of the company, uh, frankly. You know, I mean, IKEA has been one of our large, uh, large clients for, for many years, uh, for 19 of our 20 years of existence, in fact. And the, they were doing recycling before it was started to become a buzzword and, and cool because they're Swedish. <laughs> so they just do that Swedish thing and they do flat pack because it's more economic. And, you know, again, it, down to the business value, it, when you flat pack stuff, you get eight times as much on a truck, uh, which obviously affects the carbon footprint and everything else. So um, interesting things like that. I mean, I, IKEA uh, about three years ago uh, just started to look at the banding that goes around the boxes. So you, you imagine how many millions of boxes with furniture and heaven knows what in them, right? So but they've all got this this banding around them. They suddenly realized that depending where that product was manufacturing and coming, they had all these different bandings. Well, they weren't recyclable in mass because there just wasn't enough quantity, if you like, in any one location to make it enough. So they immediately went from something like eight or nine different types of banding down to three. And now they have a massive amount of enough of one type of stuff to actually put that into a recycle stream. So you think of the, the cost efficiency there, the expense efficiency was enormous and with a great outcome at the back end. One of the other things, if I may mention, that we've done, as well as a, another 
think that a, a retailer in particular can partake in. We've got some of our clients in this, but there's an organization called Print Relief, uh, spelled L-E-A-F, like, as in a leaf. And Print Relief is an organization out of Denver that we've been involved with for a couple of years. Um, their website is printrelief.com. Um, they have a microcharge uh, for paper or materials that are truly sustainable, whether they be, I mean, wood is obviously pulp and connected to paper. So a lot of these things, uh, we have a microcharge per, and it's based off an eight and a half, you know, a typical standard eight and a half, 11 page. But there's a tiny little microcharge to the equivalent, no matter what we print on, including Bob's board. And then uh, that gets, uh, we, uh, pay for that, and then this organization plants trees literally around the globe, and we have our own web portal into it, which uh, I had my colleague take a look at this morning, and we have currently provided the equivalent of 18,742 pages uh, on that standard 8.5-11, which equates to we have replanted 2,249 trees in uh, seven countries by the looks. So there's things like that that an organization in retail uh, can at least do, show something that they're, that they're concerned and they, they have an interest in the continuation of what is essentially getting cut down to produce their stuff. I think that, uh, Tim, uh, uh, you know, the education portion of, of what your company and what you guys are doing uh, in the print environment is so important. I know on our side, you know, it's all about trying to educate the yes. retail, visual merchandising people, marketing people, uh, even trying to get in with some of the sustainability people at these major corporations to really talk about the footprint of these products. and. As you said earlier, Tim, you know, with with China no longer accepting container loads of our trash or waste or quote unquote recyclables, um, the reality today is much different than when it was uh, where we were sending stuff to China because mm -hmm. that material. And again, Tim, as you mentioned, with the closing of these recycle centers where they just can't be profitable. Guess what? At the end of life. When you take down those signs and you're going to refresh your area with new signage for the fall promotion, back to school, summer, holiday, whatever it is, all of that material in the plastic side of things, without question, is going into our landfills here in the United States. It's no longer being shipped to a more of a, a third world area that will accept these types of, uh, of, of trash and product from our country. So it's the education side is so critical, and it's it's one of the main reasons why I think this podcast podcast has legs is that if somebody can listen to this, and if we create one person in our in our area of expertise in the retail design display side of the business to just think about their overall impact, then we've done our job, and that's that's what it's about. And it's not about what product they buy. It's not about uh, you know, all of the other things. It's really about, you know, the overall footprint from from the start to the end of, the, of life of their materials. 
And, you know, I, I think um, the impact of these materials is being pushed onto retailers, grocery stores, um, large and small, in a top-down way. So, uh, you know, with signage specifically, we see PVC is one of the big materials that's often used. Um, and it's being banned in other forms. So, for example, Aldi most recently banned their PVC plastic trays from their fruit and veggie packaging, which I thought was pretty interesting um, and kind of a, a bold move. Do you think that this might encourage more retailers to go sustainable with their signage? And if not this specific example, just this general kind of top-down banning within companies of harmful materials? Well, I'll say from my side, Tim, from my side in, in working with a number of the different retailers and marketing to them and talking to them about um, you know, the different substrates that they're utilizing from a sustainable standpoint. I would say today, with all of the things that we've we've discussed here, um, there's certainly a new traction in uh, in questions and, and, and things that are coming from the retail side, and they're looking at utilizing products other than, say, a PVC or some of those other products. Tim, I mean, would you agree with that? I, I, today? I would. And, you know, we... Again, we love to get involved with the client up front. Uh, we'd like to be in the marketing meetings so that as they, you know, we can just sit there and listen. But then when something comes up and you go, well, can you, is it possible to do this? And all of a sudden, um, you know, we've got, we're doubling the yield on the materials. But think about what that does in, for their budget. All of a sudden, the, the whole quoting thing that we do, it's, we're going to be invoicing them less. And that's a shame on, in one regard to us, but it's, it's absolutely the right thing to do. You know, sometimes I know there's some suppliers literally will not point these things out to the client because it reduces their revenue, but it's totally the wrong thing to do. And you need that professional input from the manufacturing side, our side, of making these suggestions so that you can drive that cost down. Bob mentioned packaging. There's a lot can be uh, saved uh, on the packaging side. We actually happen to have a, a custom box builder uh, machine um, that came from Sweden because obviously they make a tremendous amount of cardstock and paper over there. But uh, this machine has hundreds of templates in it so that you can make any size of box, which means that you're shipping only the size that you want. You don't have a big, you know, Amazon type box with a tiny little product in the middle, you know, I mean, so yep. all these, all these boxes are made custom made as we need them. We can make one or we can make 101, whatever we want. And, um, and that's the cuts down on the uh, wasted volume in there. That's another way. The other thing that you can do is consolidated shipping. We, we have one client relatively new who came on board last year. We discovered in conversation that all their product basically comes in either at uh, Los Angeles port or Long Beach, shipped in. Comes in, gets shipped all the way to the Midwest, gets broken out, and then shipped all the way back. Okay, typical kind of model in many respects. The, the previous print vendor was doing all their POP was getting shipped out to a, a lot of locations. It was about $38,000 per campaign for this stuff to get shipped. We took 
the approach of looking at their payloads of their inbound product from Asia, they when they've got containers that are not completely full, they swing by here, pick up all of the POP for distribution, and it's taken back to um, the Midwest, where it gets broken out with the stuff that's now going out to the uh, the stores, and it's basically taken out about of that thirty eight thousand. It's taken about thirty four thousand dollars worth of cost out per shipment, and they go out every three weeks. So again, looking at the big uh, holistic issue, uh, that's a that's a lot of money a year. Um, to be either spent on additional marketing or or just save, and a lot less carbon footprint. Yeah, I mean, I think that is an important conversation point because, as much as the sustainable, social, ecological framing of the issue is important, and you know, you'd hope would resonate with people, the financial impact clearly is a big motivator as well. And so being able to come to retailers and explain and educate that, you know, beyond the earth impact, sustainable practices have shown increases to companies' bottom line. Um, It's not just a social PR move. It literally will save you money. Um, What are some other ways y'all have seen sustainability encourage money saved specifically for retailers? And how do you see that translate over to signage production, um, have you seen considerable savings when they switch from PVC displays to uh, the sustainable products that y'all offer? So on my end, on the display side, so uh, as we've talked about, Falcon Board is is utilized in store signage and display and lots of other different applications uh, based on its uh, qualities and merits uh, of the product. But uh, it, traditionally in the display side of the business, you walk into a grocery uh, store and you have your aisles and aisles of different types of products. And then you have these, what they call kind of aisle agitators. It's another little display made out of cardboard, you know, in the middle of the aisle with the candy for the kids to grab or whatever it is. Um, One of the things that traditionally has been is you've had these cardboard displays that are, you know, there's companies that are manufactured to do that every day. That's what they do. Then you, you, you call that the temporary display, the cardboard temporary display. So when you're done with it, hopefully they're gonna throw it in the recycle container and it's gonna get recycled. Then you, the other side of that you have is the permanent display side. And I know Tim gets involved with a lot of that as well, where it's it's real wood, it's metal, you know, it's a long lasting display. They're, they're looking at to, to utilize that in their stores for years over years. Well, the new segment now is more of the semi-permanent display. And that's where they're using a product like Falcon Board because of its rigidity and um, length of life over, say, corrugate or corrugated uh, cardboard type materials. And they're being designed where you can simply leave that same display in for multiple, multiple um, displays. It might be for M&Ms this week or this month and next month. They'll simply take off part of the display, which is the signage part, and stick up new displays. Maybe it's for Mars bars the you know next month. So that semi that semi. So you're not you're not simply getting a display and throwing it away or recycling it after the first time. It's it's going for multiple multiple campaigns and you've manufactured it once, with the exception of maybe doing some new inserts on the uh, the actual signage part of what the product is in the display. 
Yeah, well, that brings me to my last point, which is kind of comparing what y'all are doing to another solution, some might say, which comes in the form of digital signage. So the conversation around sustainability in retail, at least I think, could push the industry more toward using digital content and displays instead of necessarily recyclable or sustainable um, physical signage. So do you foresee that happening at all? Uh, or do you think physical signage is going to remain a staple uh, of in-store retailers? Interesting question. Um, mm -hmm. I think this is a bit like when television came out and everybody said radio's dead. Um, there's plenty of space for both of these to cohabit. Uh, and, and they're, they're different. It, the, I think they, they can live together and they actually, in many cases, enhance each other because we, we're getting into uh, three-dimensional type things. Uh, just looking at a screen is not necessarily the, the entire engagement in a store. So, but in, in things like quick serve uh, restaurants, uh, that is clearly a very good uh, place to use digital because you can keep it updated and everything moves around very fast. But on the on the flip side, and this will be the conversation that will go on for a long time, the process of making digital anything is not a very nice, earthy process. You know, there's, the, the process itself is uh, um, uses a lot of consumable products, and then you've got the disposal of it and the obsolescence rate is is very high. And then now you've got all these digital screens and solder and everything else. And recycling electronics has become a, a global issue. So how people step off onto that platform, um, there's different ways to look at it. But what we see with our clients that are using both is that print is here to stay uh, in many, many different ways. And uh, especially retail going through the difficulties that it's having. Now the environments are all about the engagement. So they're using a lot of printed product to uh, enhance the whole environment in there, but, it, but it's also got the digital content in there which adds more captivation and inter, uh, interaction with the clients. So they do exist. I mean, we've just we moved on to a different spot. Um, if there are any listeners that are interested in continuing the education process, we actually started two years ago. We just had our, our second annual because we intend to keep doing this, but we started a thing called the Sustainable, Sustainability Summit. Uh, we host it with a short meeting here at, the, uh, at Image Options um, and, and a tour of the plant so they can get a rough idea because some people have never been in a you know, in a 103,000 square foot print manufacturing facility. Uh, that gives them a basis. And then uh, we go off down to a hotel uh, down in Laguna Beach, actually. And people like Bob uh, are sponsors of this event and get to participate in the event. And we have all kinds of vendors that come along with their their solutions or their offerings, etc., cetera, uh, to it. And it's basically a an invitational thing for to get everybody going in the same direction and uh, in the same way. And we don't, uh, we've, you know, we don't keep an exclusive on it. We don't do a sales pitch from that. We 
hope that people are intrigued enough to want to try some of these things. And some of them are using different sources, but we open it up to the retail space in particular. And we've had like this last year, we had people, uh, retailers, big global names come from New York and San Francisco and Chicago. And it was a good thing, but it's getting everybody just moving. And somebody mentioned earlier that it's just that small, small steps gets everybody uh, more engaged with the educational process, which has to take place first. Otherwise, there's the appearance of no value to this, you know. And Tim, you touched on the Sustainable Green Partnership. I know that Image Options really is is the only one, as, as far as I know, maybe that's changed in the West uh, that has that certification. And uh, certainly we'd like to see more uh, printers uh, in the uh, U.S. and Canada start looking at Sustainable Green Partnership and and seeing the value that it offers to their business, um, you know, along with, uh, you know, trying to do do something right for, for our environment. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, as it's a difficult certification, and that's what puts a lot of people off. Um, they, I know SGP some time ago, uh, it's actually a few years now, but they, uh, they changed the rules where you had to get the certification done. I believe it's in a year now because some people were just dragging it out a couple of years. And by the time you got to the end of the couple of years, nothing was in compliance again. So it really is a commitment and you've got to have a team approach. Um, we, that's how we got through it. Um, I believe there is another one somewhere out here. I don't know, but, um, most of them are in the Midwest, but it is a difficult process to get through. But if you look at the, the whole theory behind the green to gold book and what these things make sense and to not be doing them is just costing you a lot of money. If you're a manufacturer and same for the client, uh, for the retail, uh, retail client. It's all about the appropriate material, um, the appropriate shipping, um, but, and best practices in every department will save them money too. Well, Bob, Tim, thank you both so much for joining us on the podcast and breaking down this issue for us. It's obviously very timely, um, you know, with raging Amazonian fires. Um, you know, the concept of sustainability and what everyone can do to stay uh stay conscientious of the issues and participate in hopefully fruitful changes um and solutions to those issues is always welcomed so it's always a pleasure getting to chat about this with y'all and looking forward to chatting again in the future you're welcome thank you daniel that's great thank you and thank you everyone for listening to today's podcast and if you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts articles and video content from your favorite industries And make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.